Good morning. That was lame. Try it again. Good morning. That's a little bit better. You guys need to obviously drink more caffeine. I'm just saying. Come on now. We are in 1 John 4 this week. So open up your Bibles. And I'm going to pray. And we're going to get started on this awesome text about agape love today. Heavenly Father, we walk in today with um, burdens and loads. Um, We need to know the difference. We need to know what to carry and what to give up. We need to know how to love each other without condition. We need to know, um, Lord, what it means to love like you are. Lord, you are love. And what what does that mean? Will you just show us today? I pray that we walk out of here today um, having a little bit more understanding of what it looks like to love with agape love, Father. Thank you for um, this time. Thank you for the conversations that have already been had in these small groups. Thank you for already the wheels that are turning and the things that you are starting to create in us through this study. We thank you for John. We thank you for his words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, open your Bibles, like I said, to chapter 4. Chapter 4. I know... um, A lot of you guys, you know, this was all new information because we haven't talked about love or anything, right? Well, the good news is, wait, this sounded totally wrong. I don't mean the good news. This is not, I mean this, okay. This is the last time we're talking about love with John in this first, in this first letter, okay? So let's, let's make sure that we, we go out with a bang. Um, And John does that. This week, your, your lesson was really broken up into two parts, wasn't it? Like the first six verses were that whole um, testing the spirits thing, right? That first part. And um, really, this is, this is, I'm going to sum this one up in one sentence. Are you ready? Here's what this is. That first six verses is this. What do these, what do these spirits, what do these teachers, what do these truths have to say about Jesus Christ? That's what John tells us. That's what he challenges us with. That's it. It, we can read a lot of different things in here, but I, I, I felt like that was pretty clear, and I think we can move through that because I think where we, we need to camp out today is this whole idea of agape love. Are you okay with that if we camp out with some love today? So we're going to move past the first six verses. We're going to focus on verses 7 through 21, and here's my question to you. Not is love the most important of the three tests. You remember the three tests? I've said it every week, right? The first was that test of righteousness and obedience. The second was that um, idea of the love, the relational thing, the whole love test. And then the third was truth or doctrine. So all three of those things John has repeated over and over and over and over, right? They're all important. But I want you to think about something. Why love again? Why love again? I don't think we say that it's the most important because all three of those are important, right? Love without sound doctrine, uh, love without obedience is, is, is not really maybe the love that God intended. But let me challenge you to think of it this way. What is the one of those three things that we are the most lacking in? Which of those three are we the most lacking in? Which of those three do you think John feels we need to hear again and again and again? It's love. And so as we approach this, don't look at it as the most important. Look at it as the one we lack, the one this world needs. Does this world need love, guys? Oh, man, does it ever. Well, the good news is we get to be a part of that. And so today we're going to look at that agape love 
Um, think about this statement. I found this, um, and, and I, di- I didn't write down who wrote it, but I just thought this so well summed up what we're walking into today, and it's this, that John, in this letter, in this portion of this letter, he wants to make sure that we understand that agape love is not an optional virtue for a believer. Not optional. Did you hear that? It is to be a distinguishing mark of the church in the world. It is not optional. It is to be the distinguishing mark. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. This is how the world sees Jesus, guys, through us and how we love. Very convicting, very heavy. And so with that in mind, I thought the first thing we have to do is define that agape love. And I know we've talked about it in homework and we've defined it and we got the dictionary out and I think we might have used colored pencils or something on it. But um, I'm going to go a little bit deeper so we really understand what that is. Because, hey, here's the thing. What, what, what three word sentence did we hear over and over this week? God is love. And that translates not just God is love, it translates God is agape love. And so we have to understand what that means if we're to understand our God. Am I right? So we're going to talk about that. God is agape. What is that? What does that even mean? The other thing we're going to talk about is that charge that John gives us in that first section here in verse 7. He says that we are to love one another. And so if we think about it this way, if we're supposed to love with agape love, not just the kind of love that we define, then we got to figure out what that means. And then we got to figure out why he's telling us that we're supposed to do that. Because it seems to me impossible, right? Does it seem a little impossible-ish? Yeah. And then the last thing is, which is my favorite heading I think I've ever come up with, ever. It was late last night. Yeah, but how? Is that what we're all going to write? Like, let's skip past all this other stuff and let's talk about the how. How do we do this? We know what agape love is. We're going to. We know that we've been charged to do it. Now, how does that look in our regular lives? So we're going to talk about that today. So those three things we're going to talk about. So with that said, God is agape. God is love. If you have been doing the homework, you've realized that there's all these different words. I don't know if we've talked about all of them or she's listed them out, but let me tell you, this is what's interesting. When you, when you hear nerdy people like me talk about the Greek or talk about the Hebrew, it's not that I'm so smart and I understand all that, but here's what we have to understand. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. And what's fascinating about it is there's a lot of different places that it's inconsistent necessarily with English. So, for example, it's kind of, remember the I Love Tacos thing? If that's the one thing everybody leaves here with, I'm going to die. you got to remember other things. But remember we talked about how we have this one word for love, but it has all these different meanings, right? But the Greek have four different words for love. And you might have heard that before. But So in, in, um, in the Bible here, what we're talking about in this particular part in chapter 4 is agape love. But you know there's three other words for love, just so that you understand. There's phileo love, which you might have heard before, and you always think of, what, the city of Philadelphia, brotherly love, right? That's what I think of. It's like, this is the way I found it defined. It's, it's this love that speaks of affection or fondness or liking. Okay, so it's kind of contingent upon a relationship, right? That's what that phileo love. Um, the other love is agape. And like I said, we're going to talk about that in a little more detail in a moment. The third type of love is, it's that storge love. And I don't think I'm saying that right. I forgot to look that up. But it's a love that's based in one's own nature. A love that's based in one's own nature. What does that even mean? It's kind of like this, which I am directly quoting from this piece of paper. Are you ready for this? You're going to think I made this up. It is a natural movement of the soul for husband, wife, child, or dog. (laughs) Says it right here. I'm not kidding. (laughs) 
But I thought that was funny. It's basically this feeling you get, um, a feeling that rests on something that you're close to that you care deeply about, okay? So that's what that kind of love is. And that one's not used as much in the Bible as phileo is used most often, agape also. And then the last one is that eros. And you've probably heard of that one before. And, you know, that's that idea of that love of passion. That's the love you have for a husband or a wife has for her husband. Um, That's a love that's emotionally involved, okay? All those things, you know, the reason I even bring all this extra stuff up is because of this. We get them mixed up, don't we? We get them really mixed up. And when we're hearing God is love, God is love, God is love, you know what he's saying? He's not saying I'm all these other things. He's saying I'm agape love. And so that's what we've got to focus on. So you've got to set all these conditional loves, all these loves of your dog and all those things, you've got to set those aside and you got to say, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me about this agape love? Because you say that's who you are. And so if that's who you are, I need to understand it, right? C.S. Lewis, excuse me, C.S. Lewis says it like this. I, I like this. He says this. So there are four kinds of love, all good in their proper place. But agape is the best because it is the kind God has for us and is good in all circumstances. There are people I mustn't feel eros toward and people I can't feel storage or phileo for, but I can practice agape love for. I can practice agape to God, to angels, to man, to beast, to the good, to the bad, to the old, to the young, to the far, and to the near. Did you ever think about that? That this idea of agape love, it's heavier than we even realize. You know why? Because we can show agape love to people we don't like. Isn't that crazy? That is unnatural. Well, agape love is this. Think of it in these terms. We say, I love you because this. Okay? I love you because whatever. Because you're my dog. I love you because you're sweet to me. I love you because you brought me a taco. I love you because. Agape love says, I love you in spite of. Agape love says, I love you in spite of all of it. So the love here that we're talking about, when we hear the term, God is love. And we talked a little bit in the homework, right? That there are different groups of people that use that, that pull that verse out and quote it often, right? Did you guys decide that it was just believers, or did you decide it was non-believers, or both, or what did you guys decide? Both? Yes. Jessica says yes. Jesus. She says Jesus. Well, here's the thing. I think, I think it can go either way. I really do. I think it kind of depends on your, your situation and what you've encountered, but you know what? What we really, when we got into discussing it, we thought it really is true, because we all take that out of context on some level, whether we're believers or not believers, don't we? We apply this love that's conditional to God, or we apply this love that that is not how God defines it. So agape love, so what is it? So I came up with a couple bullet items that maybe help describe it so we can really get our minds wrapped around it before we move into um, why we're supposed to be loving this way and how to do it. The first is this, that agape love is not based on common interests. It's based on best interests. Agape love is not based on common interest. It's based on best interest. What does that even mean? It means this. Sometimes what's best for you, you may not be able to define that for me. You may not be able to tell me that that's what's best for you. Think again. I've brought these small people up before, you know, those little short people that are kids that we've talked about before. Think about those times 
when I have to love my child so well that I have to discipline them and let them endure consequences that they don't like. If I were to say, hey, how can mommy love you today? You know what it would be? It'd be like, give me like five bomb pops and, you know, let me stay up late. But that's not how I love, right? Because I know what's in the best interest of my kid and my kid's teeth enamel, right? So agape love is not based on those common interests. It's not based on the things that we decide. It's based on what's best for us. And honestly, let's just take it one step further. You know what that's fueled by? What are your best interests fueled by? Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, those best interests are fueled only by that. Always winning over our, our common interests. The second thing when we talk about agape love is this. Um, that we love, if we're loving with agape love, think about how God loves us. That we love how people are needed to be loved, not the way they are wanted to be loved. The way they are needed to be loved, not the way they are wanted to be loved. Also, agape love is this. It's others-centered, isn't it? It's others-centered. We're going to talk about some specific examples in a minute. But guys, I will just tell you from experience, I don't know if anybody else has ever had this problem before, but this does not come naturally to me. I mean, it does to love y'all because I love y'all like totally easily, naturally. But it does not come easily being other-centered is just completely against my nature, right? Other-centered, that's what agape love is, others first. The last thing about agape love is this, and this is a big one, that this is a love based on action, not a love based on feelings. This is a love based on action, not a love based on feelings, When Jesus came to earth and he died for our sins, he didn't do it because you did something that made him feel good about you. He didn't do it for that. It had nothing to do with feelings. Okay? That's who our God is. It's action-based. It is not feelings-based. And when we apply that to God and how he loves us, we see it. But then when we apply it to how we're supposed to love, it gets a little harder, doesn't it? You're like, oh, that's good. God's really super good at that. But I am so not. Let me give you an example. There's this guy in the Bible. There's a lot of guys in the Bible, just so you know that. There's this one guy, and his name is Moses. He was back in the left-hand side. He's back in the early part of the Old Testament. And a lot of us have heard, you know, Moses' stories and stuff. But let me, let me get you thinking a little differently about this for a minute. Did you ever think of Moses this way? That in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, and I can give you all the, I can give you all the chapters if you want to go back and do some light reading in, in Numbers later or something. Um, skim it if you want to do that. Here's, here's what I want you to, here's, here's the big picture. I want you to think about this. So Moses is this guy that God, God raises up to lead his people out of slavery, right? Yay. That's so exciting. We're so happy about it. So what happened when he led him out of slavery? Pretty much immediately. They started complaining about the menu that God gave him, right? He's raining down food from heaven. Guys, he's raining down food from heaven and they're complaining about it. And then they're mad because they're thirsty, So, like, we're mad because we're thirsty. And then they're wishing for death because this is so hard. And it's just hard. And we want new leaders. And then even his family starts complaining and questioning him. And they don't even remember, like, five seconds ago they were slaves in Egypt. But they're complaining, they're complaining. And so what does Moses do in spite of that? Does he say, like, I am so done. I am cutting ties. I am out of here, guys. He probably wanted to. He did. I'm I'm just going to infer that. But this is what Moses does. 
This is how he responds. He pleads for God's mercy on Miriam when she has leprosy. He begged for God to forgive Israel's unbelief over and over and over. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights face down in the desert because his family and his followers were worshiping idols. He led disobedient Israelites until his dying day. Was that natural? Was that something that just was like, oh, because Moses was just this awesome guy. And he, that just came really naturally to him. Listen, I want you to think about that for a second. When you stop and go, well, that's impossible. Only God can do that. Think for a minute. Moses was a guy. And he showed that agape love to these people that did not deserve it. He said, I love you in spite of you. The principle for this section is this. When we're talking about agape love, we have to remember this. That man says, I love you because... But agape love says, I love you in spite of. Man says, I love you because, but agape love, God, says, I love you in spite of. So I hope that helps us kind of get our mind wrapped around what now John is challenging us with. He's not just challenging us with, hey, go love the lovable You know, go hang out with your buddies and go, you know, hang out and be friends. He's not challenging us with that kind of love, with those other three kinds of love. He's not talking about that. He's talking about this, this love that can only come from God, that cannot come from your nature. That's what we're challenged with. And so when we understand that, now we move on to the challenge and and, and we see that in verse 7, he says that we need to love one another that way. We need to love one another. So I'm going to read verse 7. Would you listen for a second? Here's the challenge. Beloved. That's you. That's us. Bless his heart. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So we're going to stop right there. This is the first reason he tells us we need to love one another. You know what it is? It's this. Because he says so. Because God says so. He says right there. That's clear as day, guys. He's using, and if you go and and you go and translate back to that Greek, it's that same word, that agape word. It's not any of these others. It's agape. There's no confusion about what he means here. Listen, he goes on to tell us that the key, actually, to this entire section, the key to this entire, I would even almost say this entire letter is right here. He mirrors it again in verse 21, just in case we forgot that we are to love one another with this unnatural, crazy, agape love. Listen, when you think of it this way, think of it as he says so, but, but being born of God, which is what he says we are, if we know Jesus, right? Being born of God equals displaying characteristics of God. So if we're born of God, we need to display those characteristics of God that come because he abides in us. Does that make sense? The second reason he tells us that we need to love one another is this. It's verses 8 through 10. He challenges us this way. He says, you need to love one another because of what God did. What did he do? What did God do? In verses 8 through 10, it tells us, anyone who does not love God, excuse me, who does not, anyone who does, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made, what's that word again? Manifest. Do you remember what that word means? It's to become clear, obvious. So this, all of a sudden things become clear when you see that word, okay? So in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world 
so that we might live through him. In, his, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word manifest, to make clear. That word propitiation, it's a substitute for something we deserved. So why do we need to love one another? Because that's what God did. God sent Jesus as the ultimate act of sacrificial agape love. I have news for you. You didn't do something to deserve it. It wasn't a conditional thing like those other kinds of love. It was this thing where God said, in spite of you, I'm going to love you. Because he says so, because of what he did. And the third thing is this, because of who we are. Because of who we are. We started looking at ourselves here, right? In this, in this section of, of scripture, in verses 11 and 12, he explains who we are. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one, this was tricky, right? This trick, tricked me up a little bit. But listen here. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. Wait, what? Where we are right now, where we are when he's writing this letter, there is an invisible God that's very present, but, but not visible to these people. Where we are currently in our current state of affairs, where we are waiting for Jesus to return, there is an invisible God that I can't necessarily touch and see, right? So what happens when you have this invisible God? How, do, how does the world see God? I had, and I think I've said this before, I was teaching a little Bible study. Well, it's funny. It was, it was more like we had Barbies and we'd play and we'd eat Jello and stuff. And then every now and then we'd talk about Jesus. But I will never forget, we were talking about... Um, that portion of scripture where Peter jumps out of the boat. Remember when he's going to Jesus? And the whole thing was if he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he didn't sink. And I'm telling these little six-year-olds, and I'm like, guys, he just had to keep his eyes on Jesus. And then he wouldn't sink. And they're all like, oh, okay, yeah. And then this one little girl asked the best question I've ever heard in my whole life, in any Bible study, any age ever. And you know what she said to me? Miss Chris, Miss Chris. And I'm like, well, yeah, what? I'm just, you know, we're so excited. We're having so much fun. She said, well, how do I see Jesus? I don't see Jesus. I mean, I'm not, he's not here, so how do I see him? And I'm not kidding you. You know, you think you have this great six-year-old theology, right? You think you got it all set. You're good with six-year-olds. It stopped me. I have never forgotten those words because I thought, whoa, how, how do I look for him? How do I tell people who he is? How do we see him now? How? He's not standing on the other side waiting for me to step out of the boat. It's not. We are the visible manifestation of who Jesus is. Do you realize that? That's what he's trying to tell us here. He's saying that only the visible manifestation of God's love in this age right now is the church, the big C church. We are it. How does that make you feel right now? It makes me want to lay my head down and cry because I am not good at this. That is what he's putting. He's giving us this opportunity. He's saying, hey, guys, so you got this Holy Spirit thing and it abides in you. And then I'm going to give you this whole idea that, that, like, I can be in you. I can be part of this. And this whole agape love thing that is completely impossible for you if you don't know Jesus, well, guess what? It's on you. You can do it. You can be it. I don't mean to come down on us too hard because, guys, there's a lot of good things going on. But, boy, is that pressure. So, we need to look in the mirror and say, Lord, forgive me. What, am I, what are those places that I need to be showing that agape love, right? This quote, 
And um, I, I don't remember if I've said it before, but I'm saying it again because I think it's a good quote. It was by Mahatma Gandhi. Yes, quoting him in Bible study in church. But it just summed it up for me. And you know what he was quoted as saying? He said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Let that be convicting to us. That is what the world sees. We're supposed to be this light. We're supposed to be this visible manifestation of Jesus Christ here on earth. We're supposed to want people. People are supposed to see us living and how we love each other and go, I want a little bit of that. But instead, we just kind of go right along with the rest of the world, don't we? I do. Sometimes. Most of the time. And so John's telling us, guys, we got to buck up. We got to do this. We have got to love one another because the world is watching. Because he says so. Because of what God did. Because of who we are. And lastly, because of who God is. Because of who God is. In verses 13 through 19, I'm not going to read all of them, but I want you to just, I want to rekindle your memory a little bit because I'm sure you've read it a few times. But just listen. Verse 13 says this. By this we know that we abide in him and that he in us because he has given us, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now skipping on down to verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Guys, here's the thing. This is who God is. He came to earth as a man, as Jesus, right? But he didn't just leave us and bail out. He left us with the Holy Spirit if we accept Jesus. So he came, he stayed, but then he also loved us first, before any of it. That's, that's who he is. That's who God is. He's son. He's father. He's spirit. Perfected with us, that's a confidence. That's a sign in mature, secure love. If you can look at this verse and go, hey, guys, you know what? I'm good. I'm cool. We're good. Everything's fine. The rest of it's a mess. There is a tornado happening behind me. But this, I know. This I'm secure in. Let us love one another. The principle for this section is this. That agape love is the distinguishing, visible proof of an invisible God in this world. Agape love is the distinguishing, visible proof of an invisible God in this world. So, agape love has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with those conditions that make us lovable or unlovable. It has completely nothing to do with that. That's who God is. And then John tells us we're supposed to do that? I don't even, what? So now what? Like that's what, I think, I, I, if you guys, I mean, if you already know, then I would love some input. But I will tell you what, I, this was hard for me because I thought in my crisp mind of doing Bible studies, I could just answer and fill in and be fine and be like, okay, I'm supposed to agape love, agape love, and hashtag agape and all that stuff, right? But what does that mean? I mean, don't you think it's fair to ask, what does that even look like in our real lives? Well, I asked that question, and um, I, I got a, a couple of things came up, and I feel like I got some confirmations on some things, and I just, so I'm going to share them with you, but remember, I want you to always remember this. Um, when we talk about commentaries and that these are opinions, that this part is 
That's my commentary and that's my opinion. But I want you to realize this, that God wants us to take something from this. So let's not just take what agape is and that he wants us to do it and then let's just be done. How about we take action? And so that's my challenge is, yeah, okay, but how? How are we going to take action on this thing? So here's, here's what I wanted you to think about. Agape love, this is how I defined it. It's like putting your shoes on your wrong feet. Anybody ever done that before? Maybe it's been a few years for you, but that's good. Good news for you. It's that weird feeling of like something is just not quite right, right? Something just doesn't feel right. I have a confession to make. I'm going to try to keep it very generic so as not to convict myself specifically. A couple of years ago, I was, um, I was coming from a Bible study. And none of, these people in this, none of these people in this reenactment are in the room, so it's fine. I think we're all safe. I was coming from Bible study, and it was such one of those great days. You know, like, afterward, I got to sit and, like, chat with a friend. And, like, we had, like, this great, like, I mean, I felt like Jesus was, like, sitting with us. And everything was wonderful. And we hugged and we prayed. And it was so good. And I felt so wonderful. And I'd, like, walked out. And everything was fabulous. And, and then I went, and I got a pedicure, which makes everything better, Right? You can agape love a pedicure my way if you'd like. But I did. Usually I go home because usually my brain's pretty fried. But I was feeling good. Like I was patting myself on the back like, yeah, that was good. Everything was good. And so I go and um, was just kind of still thinking about that great conversation I had with my new friend and how cool that was. And then I went and got a pedicure and I sat down in the chair. And what happens when you get a pedicure? If you haven't, I'm going to educate you. You sit down in the chair, take off your shoes, and you are locked in for 45 minutes, right? You are in. And as some of you know, I have, you know, I have these superpower skills where I put earphones in. And so, you know, but I didn't have any earphones, Lindsay, that day. This was bad. So I sit down in my, my chair and I'm still kind of thinking about how great I am and how sweet I was and how much fun that was and everything. And all of a sudden, this girl walks in and sits next to me. And I've known her for a really long time. Like, I'm talking 25 years, like a really long time. And I immediately am like... <laughs> I am locked into this chair for 45 minutes and I don't have earphones and nothing. And I'm just like, God, I just, why do I have to sit by this girl? Sorry, this is truth time. I was. Anybody been there? Like, I put on a pretty face and I said, it's so good to see you. Oh my gosh, so great to see you. And then I picked up my magazine and, and it didn't go that way. It went 45 minutes of hard, it was 45 minutes of gossip and things and talking and me praying in my head like, Lord, what have you done to me? What have you done to me? Why am I sitting here? I still don't really know what the end of the story is, honestly, but I will tell you this. I was so convicted when I walked out of there after I spent 45 minutes feeling sorry for myself about how I had to sit by a difficult person because I wanted to go back to my little moment of hanging out with my, my Bible study friends. I felt so convicted when I got home because I thought, I am only loving the unlovable. I mean, loving the lovable. I, I don't want to love the unlovable. I only want to bless the blessed. I only want to hang out with my people. That like, that was, it was years ago and I will never forget it. It was a horrible feeling to be faced with the fact that I was not loving like Jesus wanted me to love. Hard, right? Has anybody been there? Don't raise your hand. Here's the thing. When we look at agape love, that's how we got to look at it. We're at the pedicure chair. and We are locked in with the hardest person ever, and we are to love them. And it looks different. And so that's where I felt like we really needed to talk about this for a minute because I think sometimes so, some of us, some of us, by some of us, I mean every single one of us, have a very unhealthy definition of what love is. 
I think some of us are real into codependency. Some of us are real into rescue. Some of us are really into avoidance. Some of us, all these different things, these hangups that we put on love, and God's like, guys, it's real simple. And so I felt like the best thing that we can do as women is to walk through these things today and see what does this even mean? How does this even look, agape love? So the first thing is this. When you think about agape love, consider this. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice to love someone. Doesn't just happen. Doesn't just come easily. It's an active, reoccurring choice that we have to make over and over and over, right? It's sitting next to the, the girl that you don't want to sit next to and realizing God put her exactly where she was supposed to be. Agape love is action. Choice is action. I loved... Um, This Beth Moore quote, she did a whole thing one time about how to love difficult people. I should totally memorize it because it was really good. But I love this quote. She said this. She says, I don't come to them, meaning people that I'm supposed to love with agape love. I don't come to them to love. I can love those people who will give me back nothing because God gives me everything. Hear that. I can love them because I don't need them to give me back anything because God gives me everything. When you think about this for a minute, I love this thought. Okay, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are freed up to love other people because you know what? You've got tons of it. And for me, when I was sitting in that chair next to that girl, I was hoarding all of that. I just wanted the feels. I didn't want to share that because that was a burden to me and I was tired and I had my own agenda. And this was a choice. This is a choice that we have to make over and over and over. So the first thing to think about when you're thinking about agape love and how to share that, it's you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Jot down 1 Corinthians 3.16. 1 Corinthians 3.16 goes like this. It says, that um, it's Paul basically saying, hey guys, you're not allowed to act like mere men anymore. You know why? Because you have God living in you. That's convicting. Only God can love like that, right? Only God can love like that. Well, guess what? I have news. You have God built in, so yes, you can. The second thing when you're thinking about how do we love, how do we love with agape love is this. Don't cut and run. Don't cut and run, but, not making eye contact in the left side of this area, do use boundaries. (laughs) Hear me now? Don't cut and run, but do use healthy boundaries. Here's what that looks like. Boundaries. How do we define what boundaries are? That's like a popular word right now, isn't it? Like we can abuse that word just like we abuse the word love, but I want you to think of it this way. You know what a boundary is? It's a property line. Okay, a boundary is a property line. On this side of the line, that's yours. On this side of the line, this is mine. So you have to define those things. That's healthy. Can I tell you who had good, healthy boundaries? Jesus had really good, healthy boundaries. Do you know that? Do you realize that he was kind and respectful and loving, but he didn't didn't heal every person? And I suspect he didn't like every person. Did you see how he dealt with um, some of the leaders and the Pharisees? That doesn't mean he didn't love them. He didn't have, he had the 12. He had the three that were his most intimate three, right? But then he had the masses. And you know what? All the masses, they weren't privy to all this other stuff because he had boundaries. He knew what was healthy and what was right. Here's what I think, if I can get on my soapbox for just a minute, that um, I'm going to say this. I'm going I'm to say this. 
Um, we are to be kind. We are to show respect. We are to meet needs when we can. But we are not to take on things that are not ours. We are not to create codependent situations and call that love. That's not healthy. There's a big difference. I think sometimes what we do is we define every good act. Oh, you want to spend all your time with me all day long? You want me to sit in the pedicure chair all day long? I don't think God's calling me to, well, sometimes he might, but you've got to understand that God has boundaries for you that are healthy. And we've got to recognize that because then we start warping this whole agape thing. If you start warping it into something that you've defined, that is not what God said. Don't cut and run. Don't avoid everybody. Don't do what Chris did and want to put her earphones in. When she, now, don't freak out if I'm at a pedicure place and I have earphones in. That is not an insult. But don't just bail, but do approach it in a healthy way. Does that make sense? Agape does not only love in easy times. Agape love is in the church pews at funerals. Agape love assists the thankless. That means people that don't thank you, okay? Agape love gives anonymously. Agape love models healthy boundaries. Agape love listens before it speaks. Agape love shares hope, not fixes. Agape love invests. That's healthy. Agape love does not equal people-pleasing. Did you hear that, Chris? Agape love does not equal people-pleasing. Jesus did not say yes to everyone. He withdrew from the crowds, and he didn't explain everything either. Amen? He didn't explain a lot of things, didn't he? But I, why do I do that? Why do I feel like i got to do that? Loving by what is in the best interest, not necessarily what is requested or felt. Jesus did that. He knew because he was in communion with his God who abided in him. He knew what was best. He didn't have to go, hey, you tell me how I can best love you and let me just, oh, you need me to come, you need me to come do that right now? Okay, I'll come do that for you. That was not Jesus. Don't mistake the Jesus of the Bible for a Jesus that, that messes around in codependency and, and, and creating false gods because that was not who he was. Right? A yes to something or someone should be a no to something or someone else. Do you, do you live that way? Because I'm telling you what, guys, if we, um, if, we are, if we are weary and tired and we give and we give and we give to everybody else and we say yes to every single thing because that's what you're supposed to do, and then we go home and we're terrible wives and we're terrible mothers, we have failed our mission field. And I say that because that's me. That is my life. A yes to something must be a no to something else because healthy boundaries are how we love. Agape love does not equal rescue or codependency or false gods. Agape love does not, rescue, does not equal rescue, codependency, or false gods. Galatians 6.22, jot that down. And then right underneath it, write Galatians 6.5. And I want you to hear the difference here. You might have heard these before, the whole burdens and loads thing, right? Think about this for a second. Galatians 6.22 says this, carry each other's burdens. A lot of times we just put a period, we're done. I've got to carry his burden. I've got to carry her burden. I'm supposed to carry her burden. Um, well, here's what the rest of it says. And in this way you will fulfill the law of God. Listen, here's the thing. You've got to think of it this way. That's a responsibility. That's helping someone who has a burden. Are you ready? Write this down. That's too heavy for them to bear. A burden is something that's too heavy for them to bear. 
Not enough strength, not enough resources, not enough knowledge to carry the load by themselves. That's what we're supposed to bear the burden of. That's what we're supposed to do with agape love. You know what we're not supposed to do? Galatians 6, 5. Each one should carry his own load. Each one should carry his own load. You know what that is? That's carrying your backpack full of your own stuff. Because we get that all mixed up, don't we? We decide that love is, is taking care of everything and fixing everything. We do it for our kids. We do it for people we love. That's not what we're taught in God's word. We're taught to carry and help with the burdens. But when the load is enough for someone to carry circumstances and consequences that they have to face, we're to let them face them. Because you know what happens when you carry a load? You get stronger, right? You get stronger. Agape love does not equal rescue or codependency. Love from a distance is sometimes the best kind of love that there is. Don't be afraid of that. Sometimes love looks different than you think. Two more things we need to do if we're going to go out and do this well. We need to pray for them, and we need to pray for us. Pray for them, pray for us. Listen, it sounds really simple. Let me tell you this. A few years ago, I was doing a devotional, and it was a 30-day thing or 31 or something, some 30 kind of day. And it challenged me to do this. It said in real sweet, like flowery words and like little, it looks so pretty and cute. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be cute. And it said, pick someone who you consider your enemy and pray for them every day. And I'm like, this is the worst devotional I've ever done in my life. And so I'm like, okay, no problem. I can do that. So I think of this one person who I, you know, I'm like, I don't have any enemies. I don't have any enemies. But here's what it was. It was, who is the person in your life that you are not loving with agape love? Who is that person? And boy, isn't it terrible? You start thinking about that and immediately somebody comes to mind, don't they? Do not ignore that. So God gives me the name of this person. Also not in the room, by the way. God gives me the name of this person and I start my little cute little devotional thing and I'm like, I'm gonna pray for this person. And so you know how my prayer sounded? God, please change the way this person talks to me. God, please fix everything that he does wrong. God, please... Help me not have to be around this person. Like, my prayers were so messed up. And I wrote them. That's even worse. I still have it. But it was crazy because, like, you know, when we talked about our fears this week and our fears about God, our fears about circumstances, our fears about people, didn't they always kind of go back to us? It's all kind of about me. And I realized I wasn't praying for that person at all. I was praying for them to change and for my needs to be met. And God radically messed with me. Over the course of those 30 days, you can watch. Like, it's pretty funny the way my prayers kind of shifted. And to this day, I have a relationship with that person that I was done with, done with. Because God, when we get in prayer, when we get in that moment of love that's like the self-sacrificing, like I have no reason to love that person, so I'm going to let God do it. All of a sudden, it becomes him doing it and not us. Isn't that amazing? Things work better that way. Pray for that person. Pray every single day. I challenge you. Right now, you don't have to write their name down because there's people sitting around you and it might be that person. Write an initial. Pray every day for that person who is hard. The second thing, pray for your heart to change. Pray for your heart to change. I was also not doing that as well. I was praying for that person's heart to change because my heart was fine. Whatever. And it was this crazy thing of God going, hey, you know what? Maybe all of this is that they're not going to change. Maybe all of this is you're going to change. And it, it hurt. It was hard. 
Because every time, you know what was really weird? And I'm getting just totally real with you right now. Every single time I encountered that person, I had those same feelings all over again. Like, oh, they make me crazy. And it would be like all over. It would start all over again. It would be all over this new release of like, change my heart, Lord. I can't tell you to do anything there because that's your deal with that person. But change me so that I see that person the way you see that person. And that was the hardest. It continues to be a hard thing, right? Asking God to make me look at people the way he looks at them, unnatural. Only God could do that. Jot down this verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7. You've probably heard it before. It says that God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I want to see people the way God sees people. I want him to transform my heart, change me. So that I can see them differently. And then whatever, if he changes them, hey man, that's just icing on the cake. The fourth thing, and the last thing is this. That we are to extend undeserving grace. We are to extend undeserving grace. You know, I mentioned before, Jesus didn't like those religious hypocrites. I mean, if you go back and read that, like I challenge you to tell me that he liked them. But you know what he did? He loved them. And you know what else he did? He died for him. I don't know if he loved Judas. I, th- I think maybe he, he might have loved Judas in some way. But you know what he did do for Judas? He died for him. You know, the thief on the cross. Remember that guy in the very last? Remember how mad we get about people that like ask for salvation right at the very end. And they haven't worked as hard as we have because we're the Christians. And I'm sorry, I'm getting edgy today. But that thief on the cross, do you remember him? In the last breath, in the last moment, what did Jesus do? We will be together forever. Saved him. The thief on the cross. Did he deserve grace? No. Do we? No. We are the thieves on the cross, guys. That's who we are. Colossians 3.14 says this, and then I'm going to finish up. It says, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love Remember we talked at the beginning, is it the most important out of obedience and out of truth and all that? I I don't know that I have the authority to say that, but it is the thing we lack the most. It is the thing we lack the most because John feels like we need to hear it over and over again. And so the principle for this section is this, that sharing agape love extends hope to even the thief on the cross. And sometimes we are the thieves needing hope. That sharing agape love extends hope to even the thief on the cross. And sometimes we are the thieves that need hope, right? Daily, hourly. Well, in closing, I want you to think about this for a minute. We've, we've tackled a lot of love stuff, right? Let's not leave unchanged. Let's not leave here and go back to the pedicure chair and, and not love people that we don't want to love. Let's not go and be conditional with the way we treat people. Let's not go and define love in warped terms that really God never said that we were to love that way. Let's, let's not do that. Let's do this instead. Let's um, decide that we're going to love God because you know what he says in verses 20 and 21, and I'm going to read it out of the message as we close. I want you to hear this. He says this, If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. And if he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? 
The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. It's not a one and done thing. You don't just get to love this way. We have to love this way. Are you waiting for feeling like loving other people? Are we just waiting to feel that way? Because let me promise you this. Um, I say this with, with love. God did not wait for a feeling to love you. He did not wait to feel before he loved us. He did it. Where are you going to start? Where are you going to start today? Where are we going to start? Where are we going to turn this whole love thing upside down? And we're going to quit defining it by all these worldly terms and conditional things. Where are we going to turn it upside down? Agape is action. It is not a feeling. I want you to do this. When you leave here, I want you to post that five places. Agape is action, not feeling. Five places. Somewhere. I don't care where you post it. You can use a post-it note. You can post it online. You can do whatever. But will you put it in front of you? Will you put it to where you see that and have to check yourself like I had to check myself when I sat there that day? Because, guys, we have opportunity. We're about to walk out this door right now, and we are about to be the visible representation of Jesus Christ. It's action. It's not feeling. It's in spite of us. It's not because of something we did. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this is a huge, um, this is a huge undertaking, but I just pray that um, you will show us those places where we've neglected. We have neglected God, and you, will you forgive us? And will you just go and be um, the power behind this? Love is hard to define because oftentimes we define it by what we've lacked or what we think we need, but instead we need to define it by only you, Lord, that you are love. Um, I, Father, I, I just ask today that we can go out and be different, that we are different, that we are the visible manifestation of your Son on earth, Lord. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the hope that we have. I pray that we walk out of here and live hope. In Jesus' name, amen.